Okay, I think all my papers are in order. In 1538, John Calvin was kicked out of Geneva due to some various theological controversies. And then, 1541, he reluctantly returned. When he stepped back into the pulpit for the first time, he started preaching from the Psalms right where he had left off three years earlier. Our sermon uh, series for uh, Haggai is a little bit like that. This morning, we're going to continuing with part two in our study of Haggai. You might be saying, well, what, when was part one? That was back on the first Sunday of January, for those of you who are here. Uh, so our setting is not nearly as dramatic as what happened in the 1540s. Uh, I'm certainly no John Calvin, and no one has exiled me from the church yet. But uh, I am finding Haggai's message to be a very timely one for my life, for the life of our church, for the life of the church in general. And so I'd like to continue with the first nine verses of Haggai chapter 2 this morning. I have found Haggai's message to be encouraging and challenging, and it may pinch just a little bit at times, but I hope that God will use our time together this morning to build up the church, this church, his church, and that we will find this message to be good for our souls. In our, our study of chapter 1 back in January, we asked the question, what time is it? The answer that I attempted to unpack from the text was that when it comes to building up the kingdom of God, it is time to hear the word of the Lord and it's time to fear the Lord. After the Babylonian exile, about 50,000 Jews returned to Judah to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem that had been destroyed by the Babylonians decades earlier. They did manage to lay the foundation, but then the work ceased for about 15 years. They faced opposition, they faced hard times. One writer gives us a good summary of the message that we heard from, and that we still hear, from Haggai chapter 1. He writes, in difficult economic times, the people were saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord, though they were finding ways to build their own houses. We too need to repent of our focus on, on building our own houses and not the Lord's. We need to pour our energies into building God's house, pursuing his purposes, while remembering that the visible symbol of his presence in the midst of his people is no longer a building but Jesus Christ himself. So that was the setting and the challenge from chapter 1. Happily, the passage closed with an exciting and encouraging response from the people. They obeyed the voice of the Lord because the Lord stirred up their spirits. And hopefully, our hearts are similarly being stirred toward greater faithfulness to God's callings on our lives, toward working to build up the kingdom of God and and edify his people. So today we come to Haggai chapter 2. The people have been working on rebuilding the temple for just a few weeks now, and God uses this prophet to bring them the encouragement that they need to stay the course. So if you are able, if you'd please stand with me as I read our text from this morning. This is Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? 
How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. You may be seated. Let's pray just before we get into this study. Lord, please pour out the grace of your favor on me this morning is that I might speak your truth in love, that I might make your message clear, and that it would build up your church, this church. And infuse us all with, with the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit. And teach us your ways that are timeless. Help us to be hearers and doers of your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. I would like to begin by suggesting a, a big idea to summarize the message of this passage. And to provide us an outline for our consideration this morning. You can see that it's uh, printed in your, in your bulletin as well. That big idea is the glory days are gone, but we must get to work anyway building the kingdom of God because God was, has been, and is still with us, and greater glory has come and is coming. Though the circumstances of the church may change, she may even experience what seem like times of great decline, God's people, true believers and followers of Jesus Christ, are called to courageously and fearlessly build God's kingdom in whatever times they are called, knowing that the Holy Spirit lives in them and entrusting themselves to God's faithfulness and His promises because something greater is coming. First, we'll look at the glory days are gone in verses 1 through 3, and we'll, we'll consider the times, the teacher, the audience, and we'll look at three questions that God asks his people. The glory days are gone. Verse 1 says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. In 586 B.C., the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And then in 539 B.C., Cyrus of Persia overthrew Babylon. Not long after this, Cyrus made a decree that the Jews could return to Judah. They had been exiled and taken captive to Babylon. And he provided supplies for them to rebuild the temple. Reconstruction began about 50 years after the temple was destroyed, but around 536 the work halted. In Haggai, we come to the year 520 B.C. 
Chapter 1 records Haggai's messages from August 29th and September 1st of that, 20, September 21st of that year. Our passage today gives us Haggai's message from October 17th, 520 B.C. This was during the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a time for the Jews to, to look back to God's past faithfulness and his deliverances of them and to anticipate the fulfillment of God's promises in the future. And that is just what we see God encouraging his people to do through Haggai's message. This was a time when, G when Israel kind of went, uh, went camping. It was a temporary downsizing of their living conditions in order to focus on God's deliverances in the past, present, and future. Haggai was the teacher that God used to bring this message to Judah's leaders and to the people. We don't know much about Haggai. He might have been born before the destruction of Jerusalem, or he might have been born during the exile in Babylon. However, we do know that he was the prophet that God raised up to bring this message to God's people at this time. In verse 2 we read, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people. Haggai's message was for Judah's civic and religious leaders, for Zerubbabel, the governor, Joshua, the high priest, and it was for all the remnant of the people, the 50,000 or so who returned from Babylon, from Babylon, and the thousands of the poor who had uh, been left there in the land by Nebuchadnezzar's army so many years before. Haggai, Zerubbabel, and Joshua were men who heard and brought God's message to the people and who led them in rightly responding to it. So we should be praying that God would give us leaders like Haggai, Zerubbabel, and Joshua, men who listen to his word and seek to faithfully follow him and shepherd his people in truth and in love. To that end, please be praying for Pete, for the other guys who are currently serving as elders here at Calvary, Leroy Cole, Bob Daly, Al Dipsinski, Bob Stevens, Mike Tebow, Sam Weingarten, and myself. We want to be faithful to the people God has brought to this church. We want to also find ways to look and work toward a spiritually healthy future for Calvary. In verse 3, the Lord has three questions for his people. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? The glory days are gone. When I was a senior in high school, Bruce Springsteen had a song on the radio called Glory Days. Glory days, well, they'll pass you by. Glory days in the wink of a young girl's eye. Glory days, glory days. In verse 1 of that song, Mr. Springsteen's solution to living on the eve of the great decline of life and, and getting away from him and, and getting older, his solution is to sit down and have a few drinks. In verse 2, his solution is to, quote, have a few drinks. And in verse 3, his solution is to drink till he has his fill. So much for the prophet Bruce. But let's see what the prophet Haggai has to say. For the Jews of Haggai's day, the glory of Solomon's temple, that represented their glory days. But what was left now? Those in their 70s and older could remember Solomon's temple, destroyed now 66 years earlier. 
they remembered being driven from their homeland. And the loss of the temple and the land was evidence of the covenant curses for their own disobedience and idolatry. God forbid, but, but imagine someday in the future. Imagine this building coming to a time when it sits dilapidated and vacant. And due to the circumstances, we know it's entirely our own fault. Or think of all the bustle and activity in the city of Flint, in the city of Flint back in the day. And, and consider all the property that's, properties that now sit like the ruins of A.C., like a sort of fenced-off, bleak city forest growing out of the broken concrete and rubble, a kind of urban wasteland. The Jews of Jerusalem and Judah had been decimated. They were left in shambles. Archaeological surveys suggest that Judah lost 90% of its population in the years leading up to Haggai's ministry. Their glorious temple was gone. And as, now, they now, as they now slowly built on the foundation that they had laid 15 years earlier, they were reminded yet once again that this temple would be inferior to Solomon's temple in its wealth and physical beauty. Their population had declined. Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Does it seem, doesn't it seem like nothing to you? Literally, is it not in your eyes? Many of you remember times when in this building there were 300 or 400 people attending Sunday morning services. There were another 200 kids in Sunday school. Times when the building almost didn't seem big enough. And now, we're averaging about 65 on Sunday mornings. We're currently not able to offer Sunday school for the kids. Calvary Presbyterian Church. Who is left among you who saw this place in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? And what does the Lord say to all of this? Let's take a look at verses 4 and 5. Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. God says, get to work anyway. And he gives us four reasons to do so, and he tells us not to be afraid. This is the second section that we'll look at this morning. Get to work anyway, verses 4 and 5. The first reason, reason number one, is because God says so. In verse 4, God told the people to be strong, declares the Lord. Be strong, be strong, declares the Lord. They were called to move ahead in God's strength. They were to be courageous and firm in their devotion and obedience to God's will. The saints were called to persevere. They were called to persevere because God said so. And they were called to work because God said so. They were to take courage or be strong and work. And this implies that effort would be required. That there would be challenges and obstacles to overcome. The solutions will not always be simple. The desired changes will not always be easily brought about. This is the same command and encouragement that God gave Joshua before the people crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land and before all the battles that would be fought in the conquest of that land. 
Joshua 1.9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Reason number two, because God is with us. The last part of verse four says, Be strong and work, for I am with you. Judah's people had returned to worshiping God, and God had promised to bless their efforts. But it was time for them to work. We must, of course, be people of prayer, Bible study, and worship, but certainly and eventually must get out and do what God has in mind for us. God has given us, me, you, work to do in his church, at your place of employment, at home. And Haggai is all about the ongoing work of building up the people of God, a work that is primarily God's, but a work in which he, by his spirit, invites us to participate in. And notice, these words are for the leaders and all the people, some of whom were well into their 70s or older. Haggai himself was possibly born before the destruction of Solomon's temple. If so, he would have been in at least his 70s. There's no retiring from our calling to build Christ's kingdom. And many of the elderly among us are doing a wonderful job still of serving the church, of shepherding the flock, of teaching of mentoring younger Christians, of praying for the needs of the saints, of weeping with those who weep. And of course, what a person is physically capable of doing to build up the church certainly changes as we get older. But regardless of our age, younger, middle age, older, regardless of our age and circumstances, we should be considering ways to use the gifts that God has given us to build up the body of Christ. Like the people in Moses' day who helped build the tabernacle, we offer what we have, what we can offer, not what we can't, to strengthen and build up the church. Not only does God promise to be with his people, but in verse 5 he says that he is with his people according to the covenant he made with them when they came out of Egypt. That's reason number three. Get to work because of God's covenant faithfulness. The people were called to action on the basis of God's past faithfulness. God called them to consider his faithfulness way back at the Exodus, about 700 years earlier. He delivered them from slavery. He has always been with his people. He had brought them out of Egypt. He had brought them back from exile in Babylon. In Exodus 29, we read, I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. In the same way, for those of us who are Christians, God has delivered us from slavery and exile due to our sin. He has been faithful to provide Jesus, his son, as the sacrificial Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He is faithful and keeps all of his promises. The God who rescued his people from Egypt and from Babylon and who has redeemed us from the penalty and guilt of our own sin through Jesus' blood is with us. And he has been superaboundingly faithful to his covenant promises. God is with us even when our church is small. 
even when it shrinks from its former glory, from its glory days. There is still work to be done, and God will be faithful to sustain us in it. Reason number four. The people of God are called to work because the Holy Spirit is with with them. Verse 5 says, God's Spirit remains in your midst, or God's Spirit is abiding in your midst. Zechariah, another prophet at this time, was given a message also to Zerubbabel. He said, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. So in Haggai, God says, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Yet now be strong, O Pete, Aaron, Jack, and Caroline Scribner, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Leroy and Cora Cole. Be strong, Bob, Karen, and Hannah Daly, Al, and Karen Dipsinski. Be strong, O Bob and Sally Stevens. Be strong, Mike, Lois, Jacob, and Matt Tebow, Sam and Mary Weingarten, Pat Reedy, Brandon, Christina, Sean, Natalie, Landon, Emma, and Ian Cooper, Joe and Esma Walker. Be strong, Dick and Pat Abel. Be strong, Rosie Obi. Be strong, Jeff, Lori, Jeremy, Josh, Austin. Be strong, Betty Brown. Be strong, O Ron Bush, Bob and Marion Isaacson, Andy, Anna, Elizabeth Black. Be strong, O Bill, David, Chris, and Paul Carb, Joe Cross, Jeremy, or Jerry and Joanne Dosh. Be strong, O Ann Howie. Be strong, Dorothy, Randy, Dawn, and Ray Heitman. Be strong, Jim and Ellen Jones, Jan Harriman, Ed Boritz, Larry and Janet Nichols. Be strong, Leona Paget, Harriet Peel, Sue Lakota, Liz Smith, and Chuck Stevens. Be strong, Lois Stockford, Bob Studer, Randy and Ginny Sturm. Be strong, Mick and Ann Tulgetsky. Be strong, O'Carroll, Caleb, Grace, Lydia, and Jonathan Holmberg. Be strong, O all you people of Calvary Presbyterian Church in Flint, Michigan, on this 23rd day of October in the 2022nd year of our Lord. Be strong and work for the purposes of God because He is the Lord of hosts and He has commanded it because he is with us, because he is faithful to his promises, and because his Holy Spirit lives in us. And fear not. Do not fear. Don't be afraid. God tells his people this, or some variation of this, more than 100 times in the scriptures. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Luke 1, the angel Gabriel said to the mother of Jesus, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, we read, read, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, some were afraid. 
Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Work, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus tells his people, I am with you. Do not be afraid. This is what I promised when you came out of Egypt. This is what I promised you when I purchased your pardon, forgiveness, eternal life, and peace with God on my cross. My spirit is still among you. Do not fear. Do not fear because greater glory, glory inexpressible, is coming. The third section of our message this morning is from verses 6 through 9. Greater glory is coming. Greater glory is coming, but first there will come the cosmic shakedown. In verses 6 and 7 we read, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. The title Lord of Hosts occurs five times in these verses and, and it occurs in accelerating frequency. This title reminds us that God is the ruler of the universe, the sovereign king over all of creation. And as he did during the flood in Noah's day, he will once again shake all of creation. Verse 6 says this shaking will happen in a little while. I don't know why, but it reminds me of the chorus of an old Amy Grant song. In a little while, we'll be with the Father. Can't you see him smile? Ooh, ooh, ooh. In a little while, we'll be home forever in a while. We're just here to learn to love him. We'll be home in just a little while. That's not untrue, but the Apostle Peter says it better. From 2 Peter the 3 we read earlier today. But do not look, overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should ha reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. The second half of Haggai 2.6 says, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. This list, is, this list is meant to remind us of the creation in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas and God saw that it was good. As God's mighty power was displayed at the creation of the world, so he will manifest his might in the cosmic shakedown. The great shakedown on the last day. Isaiah writes, all the host of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. 
This cosmic shakedown, to give a silly example of an extremely not silly event, is like something you might see in a cartoon. Imagine a Popeye cartoon where Brutus is tormenting and, and stealing from Wimpy and olive oil, and before Popeye eats his spinach, Brutus takes Popeye by the feet, he holds him upside down, shakes him to get all of the change out of his pockets. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Verse 7 begins, and I will shake all nations. Outside of saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, no one will stand before God's shaking of creation in all the nations. He's got the whole world in his hands. And when he comes like a thief in the night, he will turn that world upside down and shake out all that can be shaken. The shaking in Haggai's day had to do with God's work to, to intervene in providing materials and strength for the temple reconstruction. But in the prophet's the word used for shake here was also associated with the end of the age, the return of chaos, like the chaos that existed before the creation and, and God's final judgment. It also refers to the coming of Jesus. God would turn the world upside down and bring the long-desired Messiah. The writer of Hebrews quotes Haggai and refers to these two past shakings that God has done in the coming of the law at Mount Sinai and in the coming of the good news of the grace of God through the life, death, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And he declares that there is a future shaking that is yet to come. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, the writer says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12. Jesus, as the righteous judge, is a consuming fire. The Gospel of John records, making a whip of cords, Jesus drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who sold the pigeons, take these away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. That house, And it fell and great was the fall of it. Shakedown. 
Haggai 2.7 says, And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. As he did at the Exodus, when God moved the Egyptians to give God's people silver and gold and clothing, so God would also provide, provide for the rebuilding of the temple in Haggai's time. In fact, to some degree, he had already done so through King Cyrus's decree several years before. But, not only would God provide earthly treasures for the reconstruction of the temple, he would also provide his son, Jesus, the desired of all nations, the treasure of all the nations. Jesus, our priceless treasure. 2.7 says, The treasures of all nations shall come in, and I'll fill this house with splendor, says the Lord of hosts. God can fill his house with glory because he owns everything. Psalm 50 says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. And in verse 8 of our text, God says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine. In Proverbs, we read that the king's heart is as a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. God had turned the heart of the Persian king Cyrus so that he was favorable to the Jews and provided materials for the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. The missionary Hudson Taylor once said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's resources. But even more significantly, God the Father took even the 30 pieces of silver, the betrayal money that Judas Iscariot received, and he turned the suffering and death of his son that that filthy lucre helped initiate from being the most desperate and bleak moment in history into the most glorious good news that has ever been proclaimed. For Jesus rose from the dead and obtained our eternal redemption. The treasures of all nations shall come in and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. After the cosmic shakedown comes the greater glory, which will be characterized by the glory and peace of God. In verse 9 we read, The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. As the second temple was being built, there was a group of Jews in Jerusalem who were rather disappointed. Older Jews who recalled the size and grandeur of the first temple regarded Zerubbabel's temple as a poor substitute for the original. To their minds, it did not even begin to compare with the splendor of Solomon's temple. It was true that Zerubbabel's temple was built on a smaller scale and with much fewer resources. Also, Solomon's temple had housed the Ark of the Covenant, which was no longer in Israel's possession. And at that first temple's dedication, the altar had been lit by fire from heaven, and the temple had been filled with the glory of God. Attendees at the second temple's dedication witnessed no such miracles. And yet, even so, Haggai prophesied that the second temple would one day have a magnificence to outshine the glory of the first. Haggai's word was fulfilled 500 years later when Jesus Christ arrived on the scene. 
Zerubbabel's temple was not as outwardly impressive as Solomon's, but it had a greater glory. The Messiah himself walked the courts of the temple that Zerubbabel built. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The last phrase of our passage says, And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Jesus, the desire of the nations, is our peace. For he himself is our peace, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and you peace to you who were near. When Simeon met the holy infant, he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Jesus has bought our peace with God, and one day his people will experience the fullness of that peace and the beauty of God's glory when everything is all right in a little while. Psalm 85 unites these ideas of glory and peace. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. What is amazing is that all of us who are believers, all of us who are living after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection are now partakers of and participants in that greater glory that Haggai described and prophesied about. And there is still even greater glory yet to be revealed. So, though we do not have a promise of the permanence of Calvary Presbyterian Church, we do have a promise, a promise of the permanence of the church, the body of Jesus Christ. There is no promise or guarantee in Haggai to a particular church that if they work hard at building up Christ's kingdom, that they will grow and prosper. But we can live with the mindset that Joab had during King David's battle with the Ammonites and Syrians. He said, Be of good courage, and let us be courageous for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what seems good to him. Haggai was used by God to promote a spirit of revival among the people. God sovereignly worked so that the prophet's message, the people's hearts, 
and the political climate all beautifully coalesced to bring about spiritual renewal and the rebuilding of the temple. May he be pleased to do a similar work in our day. If you are a Christian, then by the grace of God, because of the love of Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you need to participate in the life of God's church. If you are a Christian, then in obedience to God and for the good of your very soul, you need to participate in the life of God's church. To whatever extent you are physically able, you need to participate in the life of God's church. If you are physically and circumstantially able, you need to meet with God's people live and in person and participate in the life of the church. Watching poorly produced videos of church services online should be done as a last resort. Christian men, consider that the message we read this morning came from the man Haggai, to the man Zerubbabel, to the man Joshua, and then to all the people. Men, we need to participate in the life of God's church for the health of our own souls and for the spiritual well-being of our wives and children, to those God has entrusted to our care, even when other people annoy us, even when we don't like the new songs, even when we don't like the old songs, even when we don't like the music the organist picks out, even when the building isn't as clean as we think it should be, even when those darn school kids do things that bug us, even when the preacher says too much about politics, even when the preacher says not enough about politics, even when babies cry during the service, even when the coffee isn't very good, even when music is too loud, even when the music is too quiet, even when the sanctuary is too warm, even when the sanctuary is too cold. Christ calls us, come, participate as another broken member of my broken people and work to build up my kingdom and watch as I make all things new. For the glory days, they might be gone, but we must get to work anyway, building the kingdom of God. Because God was, has been, and is still with us. And greater glory has come and is coming. Let's pray. O Lord of hosts, we ask that in response to your great love, your great love for us and to the truth of your word, we ask that you would make us more committed to seeking first your kingdom. May we be turned away from sin and sadness and be transformed by your mighty power. Help us to make opportunities and take the opportunities you give us to give of our time and talents to proclaim your wondrous love. Fill us with the fruit of your Holy Spirit that we might love others better and extend to them the mercy that you have shown to us and whatever we do, whether in word or in deed, may it all be done as, as representatives of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may you use our lives, even our lives, to bring glory to your name and to share your glory and your peace with those around us. 
We pray in your holy name. Amen. Will you please stand and sing together hymn number 497, More Love to Thee, O Christ. this morning comes from Galatians chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. 